This is a place where together we can navigate through life's ups and downs with all of the vulnerability, compassion, and openness that we can muster, celebrating our bravery in all of it. Along with the help of guests from all walks of life, we'll discover new truths while doing some unlearning and we'll gain valuable tools for becoming who we already are while also uncovering our divine gifts. I'm Jade Bryce and I'm so thankful that you're here. Today is Valentine's Day, even though you're probably listening to this in March. And well, interviewing this guest today is my Valentine's gift because he is one of my favorite writers and his book, Recapture the Rapture, is one of the best books I've ever read. I've been trying to get him on the show for over a year, but it feels pretty perfect to have him on today. I'll read two quotes from his book that I have mentioned in a past episode. We won't get into these two topics today, but I still wanted to mention them because of how beautiful they are. The first one is... People who read narratives develop stronger social cognition than those who don't. When scanned, the brains of bookworms showed more default mode network activity in the area devoted to empathy. We are kinder and wiser when we can imagine the lives of others. The second quote is, children who learned their family stories across generations had a strong self-esteem and stronger self-control. They even had more resilience in the face of trauma. And we inherit the most resilience when these intergenerational stories oscillate, mirroring the ups and downs of our own lives. It's not our family is the best, but we had a series of triumphs and disasters and we're still here. Hmm. All right. So he is the author of the global bestseller and Pulitzer Prize nominated book, Stealing Fire, how Silicon Valley, Navy SEALs and Maverick scientists are revolutionizing the way we live and work. And he's also the founder of the Flow Genome Project, an international organization dedicated to the research and training of ultimate human performance. Since founding the organization in 2011, it has gone on to become the leading voice of evidence-based peak performance in the world, counting award-winning academics, legendary professional athletes, special operations commanders, and Fortune 500 business leaders among the hundreds of thousands of people in its global community. In his career in wilderness guiding, he has rescued people from the Atlantic Ocean during a hurricane, taken the youngest group of Americans over to Camp 3 on the north face of Mount Everest, and taken CEOs into the Grand Canyon for a week of war games. The Seattle Seahawks coaching staff have shared his leadership models during Super Bowl halftime and Navy SEAL instructors study stealing fire as required reading. When he's not riding and leading courses, he, his wife, and two children, Olympic track elite swimmers, kite surf, heli ski, and downhill mountain bike in the mountains and oceans of the world. He is an expert on peak performance and leadership, specializing in the neuroscience and application of flow states. I am so excited to have him on today. Please help me welcome Jamie Wheel to Untamed and Unashamed. Hi. How are you? Good. So I interviewed Adrian Grenier, a mutual friend of ours, a while back. And at the end of every show, I ask if you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? And he said, recapture the rapture. Mm -hmm. And I think he's who connected us as well. 
sometime last year, but your book recapture the rapture. I read while I was working through some religious trauma that I didn't know was so deeply in there. And so your book was really actually very healing in the midst of that. And I'm, I'm really excited to, to dive into some of it. So, um, maybe we could start out with when you talk about rapture, what it is you mean exactly for the listeners who haven't read your book and how we can spot rapture ideology. Sure. So it's, it's a little bit of a play on words in the sense there's two very different meanings. There's the kind of religious historical meaning, specifically within the millenarian Christian movements, which was literally beamed up to the mothership at the end of time. You know, the sort of the idea that the saved and the damned um, would be separated and that, you know, and in fact, if anyone's seen that HBO, um, Left spirit, the, the left, is it the leftovers? Oh, okay, maybe, yeah. And then there's the there's the huge, hugely successful series of Christian evangelical books called Left Behind, which mm-hmm. was another earlier rift on it. But just that idea. the crap out of me as a kid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a good one to get people's attention, right? Yeah. And then to focus any any group or community on what do we do next in order mm-hmm. to make sure we make it through that that event on the happy side of things. Um, so yeah, so, so in religious terms, it was that sent that moment where there was divine intervention in the world and the people who were pure or good or saved are whisked off to heaven. And then the poor bastards left behind, you know, it's kind of the beginning of the end right? and then they kind of face what's coming to them. So that's the, that's the high level one. Um, but the idea that, that, but the structure of that story is what I was really curious about because it does feel like not just in religious terms, and this is around the world, not specific to uh, you know evangelical Christianity, but um, there are all sorts of end time stories mm-hmm. and there are all sorts of kind of sorting hats of who makes it and who doesn't and why. Mm-hmm. And then I started realizing that there's, there's a fellow named Jonathan Leo, and he is a professor of philosophy at the London School of Economics. And he wrote a book called um, Black Mass and the Death of Utopia. Mm. It was really interesting because he starts m- mapping that that sort of this notion of rapture ideologies are all around us and you have to really notice them and pay attention. And it's that idea that things are, things are fucked, right? Step one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the end is coming and you can see it from here, right? So everybody's got a date or a pin in the map. Like it's coming and we're telling you when. Um, and then on the other side of that terrible cataclysmic rapture or rapturous event, our tribe, our people, the insiders, the elect, we come up roses. We're actually better off on the other side of that conflagration. Mm-hmm. And therefore, let's get there as fast as possible. And never mind the skid marks, never mind the collateral damage and never mind the folks that don't make it. Yeah. Right. And so, so as soon as I read that and I was like, oh, wow, that's, that is persuasive, but that shows up in techno utopianism that shows up in Ray Kurzweil, you know, and Peter Diamandis that shows up of don't, you know, basically a ready player one world, like don't worry about environmental degradation and social inequality and all of this stuff. Cause we're just going to put on headsets and we're all going to be Kings inside the metaverse. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the story. Or, I'm going to upload, like, I don't have to worry about the frailty of my human body or the constraints of these meat suits because I can upload my consciousness to a hard, to a server farm mm-hmm. and I can live forever. You know, those kind of, or we can live forever. And the we is like, who can afford it? Who goes to Ted 
you know, who, who's, who's on the cool kids, Silicon Valley blogs, whatever that, you know, the transhumanist blogs, whatever it would be. There's always an us in them. Mm-hmm. There's always a culling of the elect, you know, and, and then you realize, oh, wow, this is showing up in blockchain stories. This is showing up in web three. This is showing up in, uh, Balaji's, you know, virtual nation stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, and then you realize it's, and, you know, and then very obviously overtly showing up in space colonies. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. you're like, mm, that stuff is deeply structural on a narrative level. Like we mm-hmm. are so hardwired to be told and sold and enrolled in that story that when people do it, marketers do it, you know, keynote speakers, pundits, thought leaders do it. We, we all gravitate to these story structures mm-hmm. that are deep and well-grooved. And then when we hear them, they feel, you know, kind of like the Colbert report, they feel truthy mm-hmm. and we like them. There's some resonance and we can't separate that, that deep kind of visceral truthiness mm-hmm. with, is it actually true? And is it actually helpful or even ethical? So yeah. the stories of we're stuffed, got your attention now. Mm-hmm. Everything before is yeah. irrelevant. So I now I'm free from having to have any kind of continuity hypothesis. Like I don't have to deal with social safety nets and early childhood ed and, and is, 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 you know, social security enough. And what are we doing for foreign aid? And like, you know, social justice kind of questions. Yeah. Globally, big, big picture. We don't have to deal with any of that because it's all coming undone. Mm-hmm. my solution is a blank slate solution and that's yeah. incredibly seductive so that that's the first story of kind of rapture ideologies and how they show up both in traditional religious garb but they mm-hmm. also show up in techno utopian biohacker psychedelic nft blockchain renaissance stuff yeah right and so we just mm-hmm. kind of it's important for us you know the same with new world order right like we're about to go into the new world order and we're going to get microchipped and everything you know and we're going to be in a surveillance society that's the big time bad so patriots and rebels we all have to fuck off to our ranches in west texas yeah. right? <laughs> and dig bunkers and smoke toad until the end comes yeah Right? Yeah. And it reminds me, I'm interviewing Mark Gaffney soon as well. It reminds me of how he talks about how one of the faces of Eros is to be on the inside. And in order to, um, for it's a pseudo Eros, if we're like creating someone on the outside, just so we can feel on the inside mm-hmm. and that those on the outside, that's actually where addiction comes from. Cause they're just seeking to be on the inside. And it feels like, um, this though, this rapture mentality, it's hard to let go of because it's, it's, it's how you're saving your life. You know, it's fear-based. And it's like, I remember having a conversation with someone who believed I was going to go to hell and he was saying, well, at least I, at least, even if I'm wrong, like, at least I know my soul is safe because at least I, I, I played it safe. At least I followed the rules, you know? And so if there is a hell, at least I'm, you know, I know my soul is safe and you don't even know that because you're acting as if there is no hell. And so it's hard to let go of that rapture mentality. I feel like no matter how it shows up, because in our minds, even if it's fleeing to the bunker in West Texas, you're saving your life. You know, do you think that that's what drives people to fundamentalism and nihilism? 
Is what you fear? just described, what, what you just described your friend doing was Blaise Pascal's, like Pascal's wager, right? Better to believe in God in case <laughs> rather yeah. than, than, than flip the bird to him and then burn in hell, you know, for my doubts. Right. So yeah. like, <clears throat> that, that, that's a, a that's a well-known hedge. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as kind of the why, like, why is there such a pull towards these stories? And right. I mean, I'm sure you've seen kind of even in the podcastosphere, right? There's all sorts yeah. of anti-cult um, podcasts now. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's all the Netflix documentaries and HBO documentaries and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then there's the kind of cult watch you know, third tier podcast that are like, mm-hmm. well, what about Jordan Peterson? And what about, <laughs> you know, Brett Weinstein? Yeah. And are they really doing this? And, you know, like there's, there's that whole thing. Yeah. So we're kind of seeing this entire ecology bubble up right now mm-hmm. around this very question is why are we, are, well, first of all, question, are we more susceptible than we have been? Mm-hmm. Or are we just blogging about it and tweeting about it more? Mm-hmm. Um, and if we are, what is, what is kind of this uptick um, in conditions that make this more fertile ground. And, and for sure, yeah. I would say that some existential anxieties, right? Some sense of like, oh my God, like, are we, have we overcooked this? Like, are we screwed? Mm-hmm. It sure seems that way. Like you read New York Times, you read The Guardian, you read, you know, any of those papers that have kind of done that. I don't know what, they did some organized agreement to coordinate publication of climate mm. news like five years ago, something like that. So there's been this kind of relentless drumbeat of that stuff. Obviously Mm -hmm. all of the social justice movements of the last five years have been, you know, ringing in everybody's, you know, ears and news feeds. So there's a whole lot of anxiety and uncertainty Mm -hmm. and a very palpable sense of like, shit's getting worse. This was not like it was a decade ago. It doesn't feel that way at least. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's also, you know, the, the end of truth epistemic collapse the fact that you know even the fact-checking sites like snopes mm-hmm. have been kneecapped and undermined so mm-hmm. like there is no and you know and there's there's not <clears throat> there's not c you know cbs nbc abc there's not the trusted news anchors there's none of that stuff anymore mm-hmm. and and then nobody believes anything even coming out of the who the cdc ivy league schools you know like none of it Right. Mm-hmm. Where we used to be like, okay, this is confusing. What do the experts say? Mm-hmm. Right. Or even the church. Right. I mean, you've got Catholics outflanking the Pope because the, this Pope has been tagged as kind of a liberation theology, South American lefty, mm-hmm. you know, who's mm-hmm. trying to drag the church in places that the old God, true believers don't want any part of. Yeah. So even within, you know, never mind pedophilia and abuse scandals and loss of credibility. Right. So, mm-hmm. so we've seen that across the board. So we have existential challenges and fears and anxiety. So somebody tell me what is going on and somebody tell me where is safe harbor to run to mm-hmm. at the same time that we've had this total implosion of institutional authority and trustworthy sources. Mm-hmm. Right. And then into that void come the demagogues, come the cult leaders, come even just the straight up sociopaths looking to make a buck. The commies, mm-hmm. right? Come anybody willing to promise, hey, I slash we know exactly what's going on. You're, you don't be one of the sheeple. You've had that wool pulled over your eyes. We'll tell you the truth. We'll give you the red pill, whatever black pill or whichever pill we're pushing. But it's definitely not the blue pill, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you come with us, if you buy into our worldview, 
you will know what's happened. You you will have managed your risks because mm-hmm. now you know, you really know. And again, back to the basic structure and we come up roses on the other side to stick with us. Yeah. And that is massively seductive. It fills a huge psychological, social, emotional need. Mm-hmm. Um, and for at least a while, you know, until that day comes and goes, you know, <laughs> like, like, like the Millerites back in the 19th century, right? Like they, those dudes who sat up on their roofs waiting for the rapture and then they, the day, the October the 23rd or whatever it was came and went. And then there was another date and that came and went. And then people were like, oh, fuck this, this is kind yeah. of a joke, right? So like at what point, you know, we, we will have to just go forwards in time mm-hmm. to pressure test a lot of these truth claims, but the scary part, and not that I spend tons of time on this, I think there's plenty of more real things to be concerned about, but like whether it was Waco and David Koresh or whether it was um, whatever their names were with Heaven's Gate, mm-hmm. right? Once you did the Nike sneakers and the, and the, the cyanide, right? In Southern California. Mm-hmm. If you, like, I, I watched that HBO documentary and like they were pretty sweet, like just new age hippies for most of their time. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until... You know their fund, their their benefactors dried up. They started getting cash strapped. They were things got tighter for them, mm-hmm. and then at some point things get so tight that it becomes impossible to hold up the narrative, the story anymore. So then they start like thinking about that martyr button mm. because the martyr button solves all of their narrative problems. Mm. Right. It's a little bit like, you know, those soap, those, you know, like the soap operas where, you know, like, and then, oh, they woke up and they were in a coma or, oh, they actually had a twin. You know, they do some deus ex machina bullshit plot device to solve what was bad writing. Mm -hmm. Right. And in some respects, a lot of these rapturous cultic movements that are pushing for, hey, some big time, terrible, bad things coming. And then we're redeemed and proved, you know, proven Mm -hmm. true. If it doesn't come or it doesn't quite look like what they've been saying, then the, 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 basically the selection pressure for how the hell do I paint myself out of this corner? Something more dramatic, something potentially violent, some, some confrontation where I get to go, you know, death by cop basically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, 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 and I'm not saying that that's going to be happening everywhere, but it is, it's a part of kind of the plot lines. Yeah. You know, and it's a reasonably well, well-worn one. Yeah. Yeah. I know you mentioned in the book, be as weary of false certainty as any other false idol. And it's like all of all in all of those angles, there's so much certainty, you know? And I remember when I, I felt like I went through a dark night of the soul when I, when I, um, I'd heard about the real story of Mary Magdalene and how it was removed from the Bible. And, and after that, it was like, I didn't feel like I could really be certain of anything, you know, like, Mm. and, and there's so much more freedom in that. But I remember, um, you, you brought up a couple of examples that are similar, but I, in my teenage years, we, my church put on this, I went to a mega church, um, and we went and put on every Halloween, this like mock haunted house called final exit. Oh, like, like the hell house kind of thing. Yeah. But what you would do is you would go through a room of domestic abuse, of suicide, of abortion, all these sins. And then the last room was hell. And there would be like demons like coming at you and like maggots, you know, and all the fear. 
And then you'd get through that and it'd be Jesus on a cross and they'd ask you to say the sinner's prayer so that you weren't in that life, you know? And every night we'd be like, we saved 792 souls. And in the time it was like, of of course, though, everyone said those prayers because they were freaking terrified and they probably just wanted out of that, that, you know, place. But at the time it was like, I was so into Charles Spurgeon's work and I felt like I was really saving people, you know, and, and it's so interesting because I went through a time where when I, when I left that lifestyle and that mindset, I went through a time of where I was trying to then save those people who were doing it. Like, you know, and it was just at this opposite side of the same coin. Hmm. And then when I finally, the pendulum finally found its balance, it was like, there was just so much more ease and, freedom. But what I'm finding a lot, especially here in Austin, is there's a lot of what they're calling new age to Jesus happening where they're yeah, big time. And, and it feels like where they're just renouncing yoga and Kundalini and even breath work and crystals, like all of the stuff where it's kind of like throwing the baby out with the bathwater one extreme to another. And I'm really craving for the, the two worlds meeting. Um, that's where I feel like I find, um, myself a lot, but yeah, I didn't know if you had any thoughts on that. This, I, I figured you had, um, you had heard of this new like wave. Interesting. And so it's called. I mean, in, what was the name of the movement? You said New Age to Jesus, and that's like a thing. Like you could Google it, yeah. and you'll get hits. I mean, that's I'm seeing it all over social media. And yeah. and what's um, what was the sinner's prayer that you guys did in the Halloween house? Oh man, it was something along the lines of. Um, like it's, it's the, the famous sinner's prayer, but it's like, forgive me for my sins. I accept you into my heart. Um, yeah, there's like a, I'm sure if we Googled sinner's prayer, there's like the typical. Yeah. I was curious because you said, you said you were at a mega church, so like non-denominational. So it wasn't like the Nicene Creed, like, forgive me for the things I have done and the things I ought not to have done, blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, they called themselves non-denominational, but they followed something called the government of 12 that originated out of Bogota. And basically like you go find 12 disciples and then they find 12 disciples. And that's how you do the great commission of saving the world. Um, but whoever that leader is of the 12, they basically are the voice of God for you. So it was wow. very, very, <laughs> wow. the type of cult that disempowers. That's interesting. I mean, I mean, yeah. to your point about the the new age to Jesus thing, um, I did just do a podcast with uh, a woman, Tara Isabella Burton. I don't know if mm. you've come across her stuff. Mm-mm. She's a um, Oxford PhD in theology, but she oh. lives in New York and she wrote a really cool book called Strange Rites. And it's everything like applying like a religious scholar's lens to soul cycle, to sleep no more, to like, you know, to Burning Man, to all of these things. And so we Mm -hmm. had a really fun and interesting conversation around exactly this stuff. And she wrote a piece in the New York Times, I think last fall on the rise of weird Christians. Mm. It sounds like exactly what you're describing because basically, and and she counts herself as one of them where Mm. it wasn't even just like, it was basically the whole millennial seeker generation mm-hmm. getting drawn increasingly to not just Jesus, but to like old school, yeah, like Latin masses, yeah, like Greek Orthodox, like full on, like that's are, what's happening. Right, we are so tired of the burden of being on the hook for my own self actualization. Mm-hmm. And this spiritual cafeteria where I can choose anything and everything. 
just mm-hmm. for fuck's sake, can I just sit down in a goddamn pew and will somebody tell me what to do? And yeah. will somebody remind me of traditions and obligations greater than myself? Because like the, this, this responsibility in the sort of spiritual marketplace for my own actualization is burning me the hell out. Mm-hmm. And I have sampled everything I could possibly get my mitts on, <laughs> you know, and none of it's actually sticking, really. Yeah. So please tell me that I'm small and insignificant. Please. T- it's a little bit. It's a little. It's, it's like sort of theological kink, right? Yeah. It's like I need to be dumb. Uh, it is. Right? In order just to calm the fuck down. Flog the fuck out of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and even be told like, like you're not that special cupcake. Yeah. And, and service to your community matters and mm-hmm. humility matters and, and not knowing matters. Right? Like yeah. the idea that you're going to become an awakened fifth density, whatever the fuck, mm-hmm. you know, takes a back seat to you are a fallible, mortal, sinning human take a number it doesn't deserve pleasure well well i mean and, yeah. and that's where you know who knows right because yeah. what doctrine people get enrolled in as mm-hmm. they're seeking that kind of soothing stabilizing structure yeah right and quite mm-hmm. often as as i'm you know as people do in the mega church side too right I mean, if you think about hillsong as an example right super mm-hmm. hip super trendy it looked like a diplo concert if you just see pictures you know they've got the smoke cans, yeah. lasers and they got it all so like jesus rock you know for, uh-huh. for the edm age and all the medicine hat brooklyn kids mm-hmm. all being drawn to that craving somebody to tell them something but then super retro um theology yeah. Right. Like a couple of their members who were gay, you know, would like mm-hmm. pull up the grinder app mm-hmm. while at Hillsong and be like, oh shit, we're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> right. But we can't say anything. Yeah. But on the other hand, I love this community and I do anything for them, even if they don't even recognize me mm-hmm. within yeah. it. Right. So there's mm-hmm. going to be trade offs. Mm-hmm. It's so mind boggling to me because the, the new age to Jesus part of, um, you know, swearing off psychedelics and like nothing can compare to when you just go to Jesus. And that's the only way. The reason why it's mind boggling to me is because what I experience on psychedelics and in orgasm is God. So there's nothing for me to seek to swing to like, it's, you know, like, I think that's why it's such a mind fuck to me. Yeah. I mean, it's that, I always think of Zora Neale Hurston, who was that badass um, black woman anthropologist. She was of like Franz Boas and Margaret Mead. And like, she was actually hanging with them at Columbia. She, and then she, she completely disappeared. And then Alice Walker kind of revived her reputation and name, mm-hmm. but she's, you know, but she was a sort of closet mystic herself. And she's, you know, mm-hmm. she, she said, you got to go there to know there. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so when you have, step you know backlashes and counter movements and this kind of stuff the real question is this this goes back to you know first century christianity and the gnostics versus saint paul like arguably the gnostics went there and knew there and they built their entire community and movement around that and paul was a bureaucrat he's like let's scale this thing mm-hmm. and and so that you know, when you have this conversation with like new age to Jesus kind of question, the question is this, like, has anybody actually, does anybody actually know what they're talking about? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, like if you've experienced the light of Christ consciousness mm-hmm. by any means, mm-hmm. then that's your lodestone. You know that mm-hmm. um, if you haven't. And you're just saying that's the wrong way. And that's the wrong way, but this is the right way. But you haven't even gone there yourself. 
So you're not transformed by the destination. You're just bickering over the route finding. Mm -hmm. That's not an especially productive conversation. And and honestly, I'm not sure many people these days are going to have the tolerance or the patience for it because it is like this, such this kind of DIY, nobody tells me what to do. I'm going to go see for myself kind of energy, right? Yeah. Culture these days, especially around spirituality that it sort of feels like the people who can deliver, I mean, you know, another, I mean, I just, somebody in our community had just let me know that they are co-founding a psilocybin based Christian denominational church in Utah. There's one in Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. And, and on, on, they own like the, the, the co-founder owns a square mile of land, which is a boatload of land. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're building, you know, I mean, it's sort of, you know, I think they're probably all Jack Mormon. So they've kind of got that sense of scale, operational scale, like we're going to do this, we're going to really do this. Um, and I'm just fascinated to be like, okay, what liturgy, what scripture, what stories, what rites, what explanations are you going to weave into this experience? Mm-hmm. You know, cause that's, you know, the devils and the angels are in those details. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I th- I guess the the part that had me so confused too was like if if I do experience that Christ consciousness and and the the feeling of God and all on psychedelics and then if someone were to go to from new age to Jesus and swear that off, I'm like, well what weren't you experiencing that over here? Why not have both? You know, it's like um for, for some reason I just always assumed that's what everyone experiences on psychedelics, you know, is that God and all. Um and it also reminds me of how you talk about the I-thou relationship and the I-I mm. or the, yeah, 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 yeah the I-thou and the I-I. Like it's the dear God, help me, save me, give me versus the like I-I communion of first person humanity and our own, you know, first person divinity, which is so beautiful. It's no secret that shame free sex and pleasure are powerful avenues to deeper connections and an overall sense of well being. And accessible, expertly designed toys can play a big part in getting you there and making you feel more alive. Dame is leading a sexual wellness revolution as a women powered resource for game changing pleasure products and supportive content. Started by a sex educator and an engineering whiz, Dame develops her products based on research and feedback from people like you. They're making better sexual experiences and more pleasure available to all. Dame's easy-to-use toys and accessories are made with body-safe, doctor-approved materials and smart design principles, and they've earned glowing praise from the New York Times, the Today Show, and many more including me. Whether you're looking to shake things up with your partner or upgrade your self-care routine, they've got something for every nightstand. Even better, Dame offers three-year warranties and hassle-free returns within 60 days, so your satisfaction is literally guaranteed. And I will guarantee you satisfaction because I use their products myself. They're amazing. My favorite one is their suction toy. I call it the clit sucker, but it's uh, spelt A-E-R. It's called AIR. It's a powerful arousal tool for fans of oral stimulation. It creates thrilling pulses of air and a soft seal around your clitoris so you can go all the way right away. Guys, I have like eight to 10 orgasms almost every time I use it. I use it during sex and in my own pleasure practice 
you will not be disappointed. They're also sending me a bunch of their other products. So I'll keep you updated. But as of right now, this one's my favorite and I highly recommend it. Go to dameproducts.com and use code Jade today for 15% off your order with Dame. Now on with the show. I wanted to talk about how you discuss, you say, if you scratch beneath the surface of most mystical traditions around the world, sooner or later, you'll find some form of sexual yoga, closely guarded, often persecuted, slandered, and distorted beyond recognition by those on the outside peeking in. But there, nonetheless, that paragraph just melted me because I feel like it's just what I, I feel so so drawn to in, in all of my work. So I'd love to talk about the sexual yoga of becoming and how it has more health benefits than talk therapy or psychedelic therapy. It's so intriguing to me. Yeah. I mean, just first of all, kind of on that historical level, you know, it really does seem to be true. Like if you proceed slowly and for anybody that's curious, let me think Miranda Shaw is a Harvard trained religious scholar with a concentration on the women of Tantra. Um, mm. she's, a, she's a really neat, uh, source to go to, as is um, Jenny Wade, who mm. wrote a book called Transcendent Sex. And wow. so Jenny Wade's stories are much more um, almost kind of like sociological study. Like she had participant subjects report to her. Here's, you know, the book is the story of her, that, that study and all of mm-hmm. the subjects who have just experienced not Tantra based, like just kind of accidental transcendent sexuality. Yeah. No specific techniques or technologies, just I just suddenly found myself in this amazing place kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but along the way she frames it, you know, she's like, and here's the story, here's the history, here's the culture. And if you just start with um, just the scandals through mm-hmm. history, right? From the Templars to the Masons, to the Gnostics, like you name it, you kind of, you know, even to um, uh, the Shaiva, you know, um, Tantra, the Hindu sex, Mm-hmm. Some of the Tibetans, almost everywhere, the authority structures try to take them down with some accusations of sexual impropriety. And you're just like, huh, that's interesting. And quite often sodomy is one, like particularly like Masons to the Templars, like that's the one that they went, that they came for them on. You're like, well, what is that? Like, mm-hmm. is that just political slander? Like, what's the worst thing we can sling at these people and let's sling it at them and then we can take them out at the knees kind of thing Mm -hmm. or are there sort of truths buried within that and and for sure like the 33rd degree masonic initiation is supposedly um you know in fact i think even maybe a several a few of the prior ones you know there's kind of like the exoteric Mm -hmm. tradition of like hey this is available to everyone we publish this stuff you can read about it exoteric available outside and then there's the esoteric initiatory stuff and quite often the esoteric initiatory stuff involves you know some form of integration of sexuality as a tool to mutate or manipulate consciousness and even the Dalai Lama right I mean behind the Patala Palace is you know on this little island in the middle of a lake is this crazy ass tantric stupa you know like this this little i think it's far more adorned than that but it's like it's all the raddest ass sex magic practices wow the entire tibetan traditions and only the dalai lama gets to go in there and study that wow and you're just like okay you know and this and the same with um you know medieval mystical christianity even the bride of christ notions like there there was all sorts Mm -hmm. of really 
curious stuff that happened both with nuns, but also with monks, sacred unions, you know, marriage rights. Um, and again, you know, pleasure, pain, like flagellation, fasting, mm-hmm. sleep deprivation, all of this kind of state induction stuff. And you just realize, oh, okay, um, this has, it's always been inflammatory. I mean, even Napoleon Hill, funnily enough, like I think he did, what did he do? He didn't do Think and Grow Rich. Maybe he did. I think he did Think and Grow Rich. He's normally known right in the info marketing world or kind of like, it's like he's one of kind of the original guys on like prosperity, gospel, Mm -hmm. power of manifestation kind of shit. But he 100% lays it out in one of his books. Mm Mm-hmm. Of like, if you want to be truly successful, all the most successful people have some form of cultivated or intentional sexuality practice. So just, you know, at the sort of ethnographic level of like, huh, this is really curious. Like, what are all these little Easter eggs scattered through history? I think there might be a there there. Well, and someone mentioned, um, someone who who is Christian mentioned the other day, because I had brought up like, I fully believe Jesus had sex with Mary Magdalene. And it's and it's how he performed so many of his miracles and, and that Mary trained in the Isis temples. And he was like, there's no way because he was the most enlightened being. And if you think about all the monks who are in meditation, they wouldn't be able to like be in that lifestyle or purpose if they were also having sex with women, it would be too distracting and too. And I was like, when I hear you saying this, it's like, yeah, but when sex is used for enlightenment, it's only more, you know, only more um, power there. So, well, I mean, it is and like psychedelics, though, it's a slippery fish. Yeah. You know? So, so it feels like and whatever you want to call it, ecstatic mm-hmm. technologies, mm-hmm. You know, let's just we'll call it that because it's fairly simple. Mm-hmm. But it seems like those tools, techniques, or practices that had the highest likelihood of shooting you to the moon mm-hmm. are also volatile, unstable, and unpredictable. Mm. So as a result, like basically any community, I'm, at least I'm not aware of other than maybe, I mean, maybe the Lucinian mysteries, you know, maybe something Masonic. I don't know. Like it's the ones who open source it or kind of go hog wild with it almost always blow up huge crash Mm -hmm. and burn. Blow up huge crash and burn. You're like, it's Mm -hmm. it's just, it's like playing with plutonium. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of understand not even just from a lockdown moralistic perspective, but even just like a really common sense, like we're actually trying to preserve and maintain this lineage yeah. secret that we should be locked down and really cautious about it yeah. because it's so volatile. And, and one of the most, I think, you know, so entering it with reverence, well, more than just reverence, like serious risk management. It's, it, mm. it's like, it's like backcountry powder skiing where everybody's, you know, been stoked on like Red Bulls, Instagram, <laughs> like, bro, that looks so sick. Let's go. And then the more you go, you realize, oh shit, this mm. is wild mountainous terrain trying to kill us. Mm. And you can apprentice to it for a lifetime and then some. And, and paradoxically, the more, you know, the more, the greater the statistical odds of you getting killed in an avalanche. So you're like, mm. okay. So like Alistair Crowley is, I think, a really important test case for this because you know most people kind of know him as like oh isn't that the satan satanic guy or he's that dude that was on sergeant the sergeant pepper album or like Mm -hmm. jimmy page from led zeppelin bought his castle in scotland like he's just kind of shows up here or there but he was arguably one of the most powerful adepts of Mm -hmm. western sex magic of the entire 20th century and was but was bent right and he burned through women 
like his practice partners, which were called the Scarlet Woman, like sort of he would identify and kind of initiate a woman into that role. Mm -hmm. And I think he went through three, four, five of them, you know, you know, basically insanity, madness, death, divorce, heartache, heartbreak. And you're like, oh, shit, this is like, on the one hand, an adept, he he basically got initiated into and then kind of rose instantly to the top of and then blew up most of the European Western mystery schools as he yeah. went through them in, on the way to creating his own, on the way to burning through all these other humans. And then you're like, oh, shit, like this is both wildly powerful, mm-hmm. but also super volatile. Mm. and and should be respected like most of us are just like you know it's the kids at the beginning of the horror movies like ah, ha, ha, let's say you know candy man three times ah, ha, ha, let's, you know, let's go buy indeed let's go buy the old haunted house down on the hill you know like like geeking about it playing with it not taking it seriously mm. and then really not banking on it actually working mm. and so when it really does and if you know and, and most of the kind of instagram tantra it's just marketing, info marketing bullshit. Mm. And it's all common sense platitudes. Like, you know, be sex positive, like get in touch with your body, like own your pleasure, like great, mm-hmm. great, 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 great. Buy my jade egg, do whatever the hell it is that there's always the hook on, come to my workshop. But mm-hmm. most of it is just retread cliches versus like, actually, here's how to build a bomb. Mm. <laughs> here's how to do this in a sequence. And, and, the, and the trick, and that's kind of, what that was the central impetus really for writing recapture the rapture the middle section Mm -hmm. that alchemist Mm -hmm. book was i don't think at least i hadn't found any 21st century western neuroscientific descriptions of the protocols underneath all the mystery schools Mm. i've been looking for a while because i'm like i i can't I'm not willing to take on somebody's entire cosmology or worldview. I'm not willing to do goofy shit. I don't believe in like spin around three times and burn this kind of incense on a full moon. Like I'm just not going to play that game, mm-hmm. you know, like anyone else is welcome to, but like, I just, I had a high, you know, cynic or skeptic bar. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, what is the actual, you know, biomechanical mechanisms of action? Why does mm-hmm. something do something? And are there, is there studies and research to, to, to prove it or show it? And then what do you do more or less in what order conduct the protocol? And then Shazam, you absolutely have a non-ordinary, you know, self-validating experience. Mm-hmm. And then you can go from there. And, and I think for most people, they're still on the side of doubting skeptics, even if they're actually curious about Tantra, they're kind of like, yeah, sure, I'd love to rekindle my love life, or yeah, sure, I'd love to manifest more money, or yes, but I don't really believe it. Mm-hmm. So I'll play, but not like, you know, it's, there's a difference between the powder skiing and the somebody who survived an avalanche. Once you've survived the avalanche, you will forever be looking for the next one. Mm-hmm. You know, and the same yeah. that goes with a sexual yoga of becoming. If you're simply thinking, I want a little bit more from my life and I'm mm-hmm. willing to consider that this stuff might be icing on my cake. Great. Mm-hmm. But that's very different than having your entire cake obliterated in the light of the sun and then launched into the chapel perilous of, you know, non-ordinary fractal, you know, either heaven hellscapes. Yeah. And you're like, oh shit, that now we're, now we're in the big leagues and, and I wasn't paying quite enough attention. Mm. Yeah. Do you think it's partly like, because when I, you know, when I read 
from you that the yoga of becoming is, has more health benefits than talk therapy and psychedelic therapy. When I think of that, and then when I think of how, um, you know, you also talk about orgasm as a prescription drug and, you know, similarities of MDMA that come with the orgasm. Like for me, I start my day every day with seven to eight orgasms minimum. And for me, it, it, I used to struggle so much with, um, depression and, and I come from a long line of trauma and, and a lot of confusion of, of like doubting what my truth was. And for me, when I connect to that orgasmic state and that pleasure, I hear my truth so clearly, but there's this bodily sensation of pleasure that then throughout my day, I, I tend to live from that place and, I'm curious, like when, when we talk about the, you know, the dangers of it, I don't want to call it darkness, but like the, the, everything that you were just speaking of, could it possibly be what intention you go into it with? Because I know for me, I'm going into it with that intention of like connecting to my truth, connecting to my heart and feeling, you know, this access to God, but also I bring into my five senses, whatever emotion I want to cultivate that day. So like, whether that's, um, an inner wealth or whether that's, um, confidence or self-love or whatever it is that I'm needing in that moment, I bring that into my five senses. What does it smell like? What does it taste like? You know, every five cents and then move it through my microcosmic orbit, you know, reach orgasm. And it then feels like my nervous system feels safer to hold that emotion. And so I'm curious, like, Cause hearing what you said, you know, I've had previous partners that felt like even with what I just described to you is too dangerous. Like you don't know what you're messing with. You don't know what portals you're opening. I'm not doing that with you. It's too dangerous. And mm-hmm. so hearing what you said, it's like, ah, maybe they were a little bit more discerning, um, and, and had a little bit of understanding of what you spoke of. Or they were just afraid of a super confident Turned on woman and that mm-hmm. messes up the normal gender politics. Yeah. Right. And and like yeah. that's scary too. So that's true. Yeah. I, I think you, you brought up a couple of times the notion of sexual yoga or some some form of practice mm-hmm. that sits on the on the health integration mm-hmm. trauma relief level, um, being more effective in some instances than talk therapy or psychedelic. Mm-hmm. Therapy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just fairly straightforward common sense. Yeah. It is just a much more involved somatic intervention mm-hmm. so it's it, it's sort of it's almost it's not i mean it, it's not sexual by default or by accident it mm-hmm. is you know it's using that circuitry but it is also working with a partner that could be a sexual doula i mean my basic sense is either it should be an impersonal professional a sexual mm-hmm. surrogate a sexual mm-hmm. therapist a sexual doula some someone in that capacity unfortunately which is gray zones in the in the US at least but mm-hmm. golly we need more of them mm-hmm. right or really dedicated life partner it's the in between that's sketchy it's mm-hmm. the it's that we're dating it's that i don't know my level of commitment but now we're in deep water but the other person wants to bail it's 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 like i'm still bringing in head games or i'm you know i'm not exclusively dedicated to a high trust partnership that's the area that is risky what you're describing as far as like just individual solo practice that can be relative you know that can be that's cleaner right that that, that's Mm -hmm. simpler to manage Mm -hmm. with intentions but i think that's part of what makes it so tricky to share and so tricky to teach and so tricky to sort of you know quote unquote scale out more broadly is Mm -hmm. is that 
um, our sexual impulses are so primal and essential, just as a spinal vertebrate with sex organs. Mm-hmm. That, like that level, you know, millions of years of ancient programming coming up through our expressed bodies. Mm-hmm. And then our psyches and our psychologies and our life histories and our trauma patterns and all of those things. And then you have this capacity to potentially hotwire or rewire all of that imprinting mm-hmm. in service of self actualization of some kind. That's the sort of mm-hmm. sexual yoga or sexual magic or, you know, or mm-hmm. tantric next to the woods, right? You mm-hmm. use cultivating sexuality intentionally to mutate consciousness, mm-hmm. right? But you can say you're doing that. You can start there. You can do anything. But if you slip even a little bit back into impulsive, reactive, con- you know, conditioned, seeking behaviors, mm-hmm. right, then you end up in the hell realms when you started out shooting for heaven and mm-hmm. particularly, you know, in partnership, that's doubly complicated. And, mm-hmm. and then you get, you, let's say, you know, we talked about those protocols, right? You get, you kind of get better at pushing the buttons to kind of unlock the combination. Mm-hmm. And they really are the most potent reward structures we have. Yeah. So it's a little bit like the rats with the cocaine levers. You're like, okay, now how do we put the brakes on that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, or, manage it or stay in right relationship with it, not engage in addictive or compulsive or seeking behaviors around it or ego games. Like I'm a golden God or goddess or, or I've got one up on you, you know, any number of things that we just fall into. Yeah. Uh, And so how do, you know, how do we just manage and balance? But to be really clear, we're kind of talking about a spectrum and there Mm -hmm. is some like watershed in between them. And the first half is just what I would kind of call sexual fitness, which would be what you described with your morning practice. Can I discharge my nervous system? Can I come mm-hmm. from a place like neurochemical saturation and enoughness? Trust in my, you know, basically homeostasis. Can I reset so that I'm not staticky mm-hmm. or distracted? Can I defrag my nervous system? And can I be in a good resourceful place to meet my mm-hmm. day, my life? And then mm-hmm. at some point, as you progress in your practice in you know additional intensity consistency frequency whatever it would be then at some point you kind of get into what would be that sort of sexual magic space which is Mm -hmm. now not just to optimize my wellness now i'm actually occasionally or more often than not or all the time experiencing non-ordinary states and potentially even starting to like inhabit those non-ordinary states Right. And, and, and therefore shifting my kind of reality tunnel, like, mm-hmm. like now that is now a part of my quote unquote new normal. Mm-hmm. And now I need a whole additional and different set of tools to navigate that space. So, so while I, the many of the things that I've been describing, like with cautions is in that realm of the sex magic half of the map, mm-hmm. the best half of just good old fashioned sexual hygiene, sexual fitness, mm-hmm. that stuff just feels like that's everybody's birthright. Yeah. And we should know that as, as much as we know that doing yoga and flossing our teeth is good for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I know, um, you mentioned in the book, there's, there's so much around this, but you talk about too, how clitoral stimulation can trigger a substantial mystical experience comparable in strength to a moderate dose of psilocybin. And it makes for me, because you also brought up the the addict. So like you also talk about how 
That's my puppy. The only difference between an alchemist and an addict is the scoreboard. So the only difference between a flow state and a destructive compulsive is its positive and negative impact on one's life. So I guess one way to really look at this is like looking at the impact of it on your life. And you, you mentioned too, indulging in psychedelics can be, you know, that thinly veiled excuse for hedonism or sensation seeking and that periodic abstinence is key to this. For me, I noticed that last year, how much I loved being out of body, even if it was just like the chemistry with a lover, like I just loved being out of my body. So currently I'm really working with staying in my body through that sex practice in the morning, instead of leaving my body. And even when I would get that dose of an MDMA state or a psilocybin state, like really putting it, like moving it back through my body instead of it moving out while also doing some abstinence from psilocybin because I've, I mean, from psychedelics, because I've done probably 60 ceremonies in the last nine years. So, um, so yeah, I'm really thankful for what you teach in the book around that because it's, I had never thought of that. And then I was like, ah, even though there wasn't a negative impact in my life, like I can see how there, this is in an addiction for sensation, sensation seeking. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean that notion of, um, and I literally kind of came up with that term of ontological addiction mm-hmm. after watching many folks in the kind of our extended community, mm-hmm. um, particularly with quick hit, very powerful substances like yeah. the, the varying DMTs and ketamine, yeah. um, just going back to the wishing well mm-hmm. and, and again and again and again. And then that sort of, and, and you're just like, whoa, what are you doing? And is it showing up in your life in positive ways in any way? Or is it the very act of going back to the wishing well? And that is a super important and tricky one um, for people to navigate. Because if you do feel like you've just unlocked the cheat codes to the universe, if you do feel like you've got your own magic cosmic eight ball, (laughs) you know, and you can ask it anything and it'll give you answers that appear at least deeply profound and true at the time. um, Mm -hmm. Then it's like, okay, maybe like go put them on the ground. Yeah. Right. And, and make art, right. Like do shit with it. And if you're not, if you're constantly going back one more time and one more time, and all you're doing is talking to your friends about the state experience you just had, but there's no validation mm-hmm. that that insight was actually real and true or, or you just never put rubber to the road. Mm-hmm. then you can just get lost in that realm. You know, I mean, and I use that example of like Dumbledore and the, the, the mirror of error said for, for Harry, where like, you know, it's the mirror of desire. Like you can get, and he said, he said, watch out, Harry. He said, men have wasted their entire lives staring at this fucking thing, mm. you know, and, and, and we could do the same. So ontological addiction is different than physical or psychological addiction. Mm. It's being addicted to the information. Yeah. Right. And, mm-hmm. and of course, no surprise, like this is sort of super duper obvious, but just to point it out, like that's spiritual materialism 101, which is mm-hmm. I now become so hooked on my sense of specialness or exceptionalness by my last medicine journey. Mm. And I tell it and I sell it and I retell it and I, you know, I, 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 you know, just obsess on it until it kind of fades and I've lost that glow and then I'm ready for the next one and I'm seeking the next one. Mm-hmm. And maybe I haven't done that other substance and what's, what's 2CB and maybe I should try that. And maybe this other thing and I've heard that's amazing. And like, well, who's doing that workshop and what's this shaman and where's that, you know, and you're just like, you're just, you might as well just be buying like Louis Vuitton and Birkin bags. Mm. 
you know, like you've, you've, you've now fixated on the object, which mm-hmm. is fundamentally my specialness. Mm-hmm. Self-obsession. Yeah. And, and even um, a buddy of ours, Eric Davis, who's, uh, he wrote Technosis and a, and a bunch of other fascinating books on um, kind of the counterculture, but again, from a rigorous academic lens. And he said something um, at a conference we were at a few years ago. And he, A, he said, sometimes Mother I lies. She does, doesn't she? On the stage, and I was like, "Oh, damn, that's a ballsy thing to say." But you're not wrong, right? Like, like that's that's just a really good pattern interrupt for everybody to like wrap their head around. And then he said, um, "Then he said, yeah." And ketamine, right, tells everybody the same three things, you know, like 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 this is really important. (laughs) You are really important, and you got to come back for the rest. That's funny. Right. And you're like, oh shit. Like, and you know, and you think about the tragedies of people lost during COVID, everyone from yeah. Che to a number of people in the Bay Area burner community and 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 all over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was playing a role. People were getting snookered by ontological addiction and mm-hmm. the tricksy nature of this terrain. There's been a whole wave, I think, in the last couple of months at least like there's been a new york times piece there's been a harvard business review piece there's been a lot more stuff atlantic monthly article all of them saying basically like right on time oh be careful of psychedelics they're not all they're cracked up to be they open your mind but be careful of what falls in mm-hmm. i had an adverse experience i had a profound love and light experience my first psilocybin therapy my second one it was the screaming abyss and i haven't talked about it or written about it and it's kind of fucking me up still and like mm-hmm. you know just the normal things we would expect from playing in consequential domains. Yeah. Not just a medical, it's not as just a substitute for Prozac. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not just a kind of medical cure for depression. Um, it's, it's an, it's a, it's a ticket to the misto mm-hmm. and the misto is, you know, and if you think of everything from Tolkien to, you know, everybody to the, to the Greek myths, right. I mean, the land of the fairies, is always fickle, mm. right? Like you can go there and you might receive a wonderful magic ring or you might receive, you know, wings or a cool pair of boots, but you also might get your ass handed to you or you might end up with some devil's trade-off where you asked for one thing or were gifted with one thing, but then you come back into 3D and everything's wrong or upside down or backwards yeah. or a hundred years late. Like, like the mystery is tricky, tricksy. Mm-hmm. And then we assume it's just ours to control or play with or dabble in Mm -hmm. without respect for the vastness of the domains we're dipping our toes in. I think that's a place that people can come undone. Yeah. I feel really, um, it's a weird thing to try to articulate, but I feel like I have a really close, like mother daughter relationship with ayahuasca, but I know that there's been times when it was not truth that was spoken. And I don't know, if I haven't just, you know, processed it in a way of figuring out if it was just a metaphor or if it was like the matrix Oracle where she tells him he's not the one so that something will happen. And then, you know, um, but I mean, as much as I trust plant medicine, there has been some messages where, man, they did not make sense. And they were, it was more of like, from me, like, no, thank you. (laughs) So yeah. I mean, there's that beautiful story of uh, King Solomon, right. Who has this prophetic dream and he's like, Oh my gosh, could, you know, like rocks his world. He's like, I have to know what it means, you know, what's, what it means. And so he invites the eight wisest scholars of the land and they all come in one at a time. He tells them the dream, they tell them their interpretation and all eight interpretations come true. Mm-hmm. 
So you're kind of like, okay, so what is the sort of epistemology? Like, how do we make sense of these weird tricksy experiences? Because it's definitely not one-to-one. And I, and I would propose for anybody listening along and self-medicating at home that like ketamine is the least trustworthy molecule. On I agree. Oh my God, I agree. And, and you, can experience, you can experience things with the laser clarity of like, this is revealed truth. So like a Gnostic somatic hit, like, oh, mm-hmm. wow, fuck yeah. And then you actually triangulate it, you check it. And you're like, mm, no, I don't think so. Or... Maybe, like maybe, like I sort of, you know, in some respects, like wave particle, wave particle in the kind of like quantum physical realm, like, okay, I collapsed it. I got a particle. I got an idea or a thought or an image or or a vision. But it was merely that moment in time in the quantum phone. It's just doing its thing. And that reflected my relationship to those people, like where we were in that literal moment in time and space. Mm -hmm. But it didn't reflect what was actually, you know, and we're all still weirdly free agents in this, even mm-hmm. if that seemed like prophecy. And it all still depends on what each of us choose to do. And, you know, rubber meets the road playing out. And so there's many times where you can get a hit or a glimpse, and it might be 5% true, or 5% possible. Mm-hmm. But it has that overriding certainty of that lived experience. And then people wrongly wait it in their Mm -hmm. reality map versus being like, okay, possible. I'm going to take that under advisement, Mm -hmm. but I'm also going to triangulate it against my other sources. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know it's been so beneficial for like veteran PTSD and things like that. So it's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I'm trying to, I had four more questions and I'm trying to think which one I want to end with before the lightning round. I think the most heartfelt one, I think the most heartfelt one I'll say two and you choose the one. So one is you mentioned the keys to our cage are also the keys to the kingdom. That feels really beautiful. And then the other one is we can see ourselves as Omegans, but we'd have to die to the illusion of our individual separation to glimpse it and just how to get closer to that. So whichever one, Mm. I really like the keys to the cage for some reason, but whichever you feel. Yeah. You know, in fact, I was, I was, um, riding along in our boat one night, uh, on Lake Austin. And, uh, and I was, and, and I was in a conversation with our buddy, Jason Silva, that some of your friends mm-hmm. from yeah. his, uh, social channels. And, and I was like, yeah, buddy, the, the best I can see it, we're sort of, we're off the hook, but we're on the cross. Mm. Right. And, and there's that sense of like, you're off the hook for your neurotic ruminations. Like there's absolutely ways to get to clarity, peace of mind, aligned sense of purpose, all that good stuff. So you can kind of dispense with like your inner critic and your sort of neurotic Woody Allen shtick. Mm -hmm. You can do that. It's really fairly straightforward actually. But the price, right, is to step up in noble and loving service and sacrifice Mm. to bear witness to the whole shooting match. Right. And, And that is that progression in some ways where you know, your yoke, like once you accept your yoke, right? The root of the word yoga, right? Mm-hmm. You know, or, or back to farmers, like carrying pails on the side of it, like, like you shoulder that thing, right? And then your yoke, right? Becomes your cross. Cause you're mm-hmm. like, this is my, this is mine to do. So now I am, now I am oriented at that intersection of the timeless Kairos 
and my lifespan, Kronos. Mm. And I'm not trying to wiggle off this. I'm not trying to bargain. I'm not, not trying to cheat. I'm not trying to bypass. I'm saying, if this cup be mine, it's mine. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so your yoke becomes your cross. Right? And if you ride that through to the, it is accomplished. I've done what little bit is mine to do. Right? Then the cross becomes your wings. It's the same thing. It's the same position. Mm-hmm. Right? It's literally the transubstantiation of the human experience. And it begins with accepting our duty, our part to play. So like mm-hmm. the keys to the, to our cage, right. Of, you know, of, of, again, of kind of neurotic consumer zoo animal doing our little trapped, predictable things. Mm-hmm. Like we can unlock that cage and the very tools as far as, you know, modifying our bodies and brains, opening and you know strengthening our hearts and minds the very tools that let us unlock the cage are also the keys to the kingdom the path to living a you know fundamentally some version and i mean you know i i i I hesitate to use such highfalutin language but like living a christed life yeah right something along the lines of like okay i'm gonna do my level best to be a good person to the best of my, this is Cornell West, right? At, at Harvard Divinity School, right? To, to, mm-hmm. to be a good person to the best of our ability until the worms get our body, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, that, that, that's a beautiful tradition. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you so much. So I end every show with the same three questions. The first one is, if you could hug your younger self right now, what would you say? Did you say if I could hug him? Mm-hmm. So hugging and then also saying something. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Um, and I think it would just be kind of like, hang in there, buddy. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like too much has changed. That's like why it took a minute to think about it. I'm like, I don't feel like I've come to any um, profound resolution other than like, keep going. Like, you know, and in some respects, I would think maybe um, you don't need to feel so alone. Mm, That's beautiful. If you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be? The whole world. Okay. That's a, that, that, that's actually, that's trickier. I know. Versus like friends or (laughs) or in America or, um, golly. I mean, a few people have said your book, Recapture the Rapture, so. Oh, um, you know, it would probably be, I think it would probably be like the Bhagavad Gita. Mm, yeah. You know, just, just because it kind of gives you that sense of like, how do you keep your head up through the impossibilities of this human experience and still yeah. do what's yours to do? So like, mm-hmm. if we could all do that, like, I think that would be rad. Really beautiful. Yeah, that's a great answer. The last one is, if you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be? I mean, I think I, I think I would uh, echo Aldous Huxley on this one. I would just say, above all, be kind. Yeah, so good. Yeah, and you mentioned that in your book as well. Yeah, thank you. So where can people find your work? Where can they um, find you online? And I know you're doing a talk uh, for South by, I don't know, um, if you want to mention that, cause this will air one week prior to that. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So yeah, I think that is with she media and it's mm-hmm. going to have like Katie Corrick and Christy Tellington and a, and a bunch mm-hmm. of other really interesting, um, 
people and it's going to be on Sunday, March the 12th. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Um, and then if you want to check out our stuff and our work and kind of where we try and help people train and do fun things with this, this content, uh, flow genome project.com. Um, and we're on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I'm on Twitter ish, um, <laughs> Jamie wheel. Um, and, uh, and then recapture the rapture.com is where the book kind of is, is the home for the book, but it also has like all the infographics and downloadable stuff mm -hmm. and play with the content. Yeah. So good. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm truly, truly thankful for, uh, uh whew, all three sections of your book. They were just so healing for me and they articulated things in a way that, you know, there's those books that you read where you're like, this is what I've always felt, but I've never been able to put into words. And so I'm just so thankful for, for all that you do and really happy that you're here in Austin and, and, um, super excited that South by is doing a talk like that with you. That's it's, we're going in the right direction. So our, you know, we're, it gives me a lot of hope. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, great, great to connect. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, you guys. Happy Valentine's Day to me. I got to talk to one of my favorite writers. Such a gift, truly. Um, I feel really just overwhelmed with gratitude that I get to do this. And, and I get to do this because you guys are listening <laughs> and you guys are leaving reviews and sharing these episodes. And that just means so much to me. I, man, this has been one of the brightest lights of my life, being able to do this podcast and being able to talk to people like him and mom and Gina and Layla Martin and Mark Gaffney that's coming up. Ah, so thankful. I want to mention uh, one of the questions I was going to ask him um, at the end there, but we ran out of time was about how to spot a leader using cult programming. And I feel like he covered that in the top of the show, but I do want to bring up that for me because everything's kind of culty. If you think about it, like everything is, but the way that you differentiate or spot if it's, um, you know, like an unhealthy version or, or something that could be dangerous or manipulative, you, for me, what, what has been helpful and what resonates is looking at whether the work disempowers or empowers. So if they're taking the power from you and placing it in their own hands, which a lot of, you know, a lot of organizations do, a lot of churches do, a lot of, um, you know, I, I am, I have the answer. I'm the one you must follow me. This is the way, the only way they're doing it wrong. It's that rapture ideology versus handing your power back to you and it being, I have a perspective. I have an answer. It's not the only perspective. It's not the only answer. See if it feels good for you and see if it empowers you. And also it's never pointed the, the, the power is never pointed at the leader or the ideology. It's always pointed back into your heart and, and what feels good for you, what feels true to you. And kind of like how a coach 
when you ask them a question and it's like, honey, only you can answer it, but I'm going to lead you through an embodiment practice so that you can hear your truth instead of basically like, yeah, you should be with that person or you shouldn't be with that person. It's a only you can answer it. And I'm going to place the power back into your hands. And for me, that's how I can feel into if something is, because like I said, everything feels a bit culty these days, but if I, I, I can feel into, well, this, this organization or um, function or program or course or leader or whatever is, is disempowering and holding the power. And this points me back to my own power. So, um, and the truth within and being able to access God within rather than you must come through me. Yeah. Um, again, that's just my perspective. That's just my truth. That's just my answer. It doesn't have to be yours. All right. So, uh, the last episode was with Vienna. She's one of my favorites. The one before that was my best friend, Tom Shadiak. Um, if you didn't check that out, it's two episodes ago, check it out because man, he's such a light and, uh, just, he's the best man I've ever known. And, and I'm so thankful to have put that episode out. All right. I'll thank my affiliates. My course has already launched and my men's program has already happened, but you can still purchase the recording. Uh, it's a very healing alchemical practice for healing the father wound and connecting to the divine masculine within. And then I will also mention Richard Rudd's course. My episode with Richard Rudd was one of my favorites. He's been one of my favorite guests. He's like, uh, uh, he's like a grandfather Huachuma to me. Uh, there's a link in the show notes that will send you to the dream arc, which is his course on how to use dreams for, um, for enlightenment and, and how to use dreams for, um, you know, as messengers, as tools, because our dreams are always trying to tell us something. It's always the subconscious, like, you know, sending us messages or our fear, um, you know, what we're want, what we're needing to look at. So it will send you to that. But if you use that link to take any of his courses, whether it's his course on love, his course on prosperity, I will get a, um, a small cut, a small percentage if you use that link, which would mean so much to me. It's how you can further support this show. Then also the best toys for sex at dameproducts.com. Code Jade gets you 15% off. My favorite is the Air, the A-E-R. It's the suction toy. I like to pair it with my pleasure wand and my yoni egg. I teach my clients how to use these pleasure wands and yoni eggs for dearmoring the cervix or for strengthening the pelvic floor and um, developing more sensitivity. I love these products. They make beautiful altar items as well. You can find those at wands, W-A-A-N-D-S.com, code Jade for a discount there as well. And lastly, all things infrared at higher dose, code Jade75 gets you $75 off. I have been reading so much on Dr. G's Instagram about how infrared light is as effective as Botox. Uh, that's a really strong statement, but this guy knows his shit. And they have an infrared face mask, y'all. So code Jade75. Thank you so much for tuning in and being on this journey with me. It would mean so much if you'd leave a review or share an episode with a friend. If someone crossed your mind while listening to this show, it's likely they would benefit from the message. So send it along. You can also join me on Instagram at Untamed and Unchained Podcast. As always, be a light, stay open, and remember, 
you belong here. But we got what it takes for the cycle to break. Revolution lives in me. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.